Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You are now listening to the War Report Podcast Network. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to the College Loop Podcast, episode 112 of the College Loop Podcast. I'm Dylan Lark at your bullet tank on Twitter, and I'm joined today by Mr. Colin Byersdorf and Daniel Locke. Daniel, how you doing, buddy? Uh, Dylan, I'm doing great. Um, took a little vacation this weekend. Uh, I'm still recovering from that, both from the wallet, both from the sleep, um, and a few other different areas as well. But super excited to be back on the loop, man. Yep. And Colin, you're finally back from, or well, you were back yesterday uh, during the live stream, but you're uh, finally well from your uh, trip with COVID. Yeah. So official. I guess official return, but we did do the live stream. Today was the first day back in the real world, like getting used to school and work and all that. So we're back, baby. 100%. Uh, and that does not bode, or that is not the same case for Mr. Harrison Tarr, who is currently out with a undisclosed fall wedding disease that he a- occurred, which is just reason enough for fall weddings to be abolished because they are evil. And should never be a thing in the first place. But we are here to talk about Auburn athletics. And sadly, we are not quite done talking about that game against Cal. And Daniel, since you missed the live stream, I'll let you kind of say your piece before we get into the meat and potatoes of, uh, of whatever this game was. All right. So I got to watch this one on Bourbon Street. Uh, that was fun. Um, not going to act like it wasn't. That was a, that was a scene. But, man, oh, man, um, that, that was a rough football game. Uh, that's one of the roughest football games, Auburn football games I've ever watched. Um, it was bad. I knew from the very beginning, very first drive, when that you know fumble happened, that it was going to be an interesting one. Um, and I thought at first there was going to be a lot of scoring. I kind of, I kind of thought this could turn into a shootout. And at that point, I was like, okay, this is, this is going to be a shootout. But that was not the case at all. Um, 
I feel like Cal more so lost this game than Auburn won it. I mean, that drive by Peyton Thorne there at the end that ended with that out route, the Rivaldo Fairweather in the end zone, like that, that was impressive. Like, that was a good drive. And when it came down to it, Auburn did go win the game. But ultimately, I just feel like that game was going to come down to whichever side was able to capitalize on the other's mistakes better. And that was Auburn. Um, Cal missed three field goals. Um, they had a couple interceptions, so they made more mistakes. And at the end of the day, nine football games out of ten, the team that makes less mistakes is gonna is gonna win. So that's just well, Auburn made less mistakes. Uh, turnover wise or kicking wise, yes. Turnover wise, not really. Yeah, the four turnovers to the three. I think I read the stat that Auburn's the first. Uh, team to lose a turnover battle and be outgained on offense and still find a way to win the game, uh, which does kind of point to the resiliency of the Sovereign Tiger team. And sure. it really helps that the defense played lights out, thanks to the SEC co-defensive player of the week, Eugene Asante, uh, for his 12 tackle. Uh, one sack, one TFL, and one PBO, a PBU uh, performance versus the Calgon Bears and a few other guys who really stepped up defensively. Uh, and I, I went back and watched, and we had a comment on the live stream talking about Masai and the Silly Kite. Uh, his uh, his dominance wasn't really shown in the box score, but he did make some key plays on that on the offensive and de- or on that defensive line. Uh, but it's worth noting that Jalen McLeod, uh, he is back to I don't want to say full strength quite yet because he did deal with a little bit of a cramp issue, uh, but. Uh, he is back in the starting lineup, so or not back in the starting lineup. Uh, but Jalen McLeod is taking over Elijah McAllister's place. This defense looks like it's – this defense took three steps forward over the last week, and it looks like hopefully once you get in – I believe Nehemiah Pritchett is the only starter you're really missing, or Austin Keys as well. But Pritchett's probably going to be the most – likely to be back within a couple of weeks. But it looks like Auburn's defense is going to be taking ever so closely to being back to full strength and being actually maybe really good on defense, uh, especially because the linebackers really stepped up. Yeah. um, This room's had a lot of question marks surrounding it all season. Um, And we kind of knew that it was going to be stretched pretty thin. And – with Austin Keys going down, like that really emphasizes that. Um, but like you said, Eugenio Sante, SEC co player, uh, co defensive player of the week, really stepped up. And I feel like the front seven as a whole really stepped up, and that's what helped get it done when it mattered. And it'll be nice once uh, Jason Jones gets back from whatever's going on with him because he's just yet to have been a factor on the defensive line. But Marcus Harris, uh, Jalen McLeod, Masana Sile Kite uh, all really stepped on that defensive line, uh, especially from what we saw from the UMass game. And linebackers-wise, just kind of going back to the depth chart for a little bit, Larry Nixon the third getting the nod over Cam Riley. And Larry Nixon, another guy who I think it didn't really appear much on the stat sheet, but he really – they finally learned how to use Larry Nixon. They didn't want to use him as a coverage guy, not as a pass rusher. He is solely made – to plug run gaps and to shut down the run game. And that is exactly what he was used for against Cal. And he was used to perfection. And every question for the linebacker room was answered by Eugene Asante and Larry Nixon III against Cal. And this defense, this linebacker room will only get better with Austin Keys back. And that excites me so much. 
Yeah, Linebacker there's use. a lot of really cool stuff going on. Like, and I hope it can mesh out well. And if Auburn can really be a force on defense, who knows? Yeah, and it's worth mentioning, Colin, I'm going to let you start off with this one. Uh, we're going to switch over to the offensive side of the ball because I know how much you love this offense so much. I know it. Uh, just to go over, just talk about thoughts on the play calling. Uh, just kind of reiterate what we talked about uh, for people who've not seen the live stream. Um, yeah, play calling uh, left left stuff to be desired. Um, obviously, my biggest complaint with play calling is we had no downfield passes until that last drive of the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I feel like you can't just operate from uh, behind the line of scrimmage the whole game. You have to take shots. We have two quarterbacks, and we will not use either of them to throw the ball downfield. So that is what I am looking forward to. Uh, going forward in the season is just seeing how this uh, play play calling sheet develops. Um, and I know Hugh Freeze says he stepped in at the end and called three plays, including that that fade to Rivaldo Fairweather. So seeing if Hugh Freeze fully takes over play calling as a possibility. I mean, according to Hugh Freeze, he didn't see very many awful play calling uh, play calls on uh, on Saturday. Yeah, my, my kind of stance plays. on that is is he hired Philip Montgomery to do a job, and I think he's going to let him do it. Which is something we've not seen very often as uh, as Auburn fans. I, I don't, uh, especially with Gus Malzahn. I felt when Gus Malzahn brought in offensive coordinators, he kind of puppeted what exactly what play calls they were going to do, and if it didn't, if it worked out well, it was him calling it. If it didn't work out well, it was the other guy calling it. Is what it came out to with Gus Malzahn sometimes. I love Gus, but later, later years of him, it was definitely along those lines. But it does seem like Hugh Freeze has put a lot of trust in Phil Montgomery, and whatever it's not meshing well, he's like, all right, well, let me try for a little bit. And it worked out to perfection, quote unquote, uh, and ultimately gave Auburn the win uh, with that Ravonna Fairweather fade, which is still so beautiful to see Auburn perfectly execute a fade route. I thought I was only going to be able to witness two bad fade routes in an Auburn loss. Uh, one being that one at Penn State a couple years ago uh, to uh, Kobe Hudson, right? Was it Kobe Hudson? Yeah. And then uh, then throwing up one to Amari Kelly, who's five foot eleven, And then finally getting it right and doing a fade route to a tight end. Auburn's got a good tight end. Has not, have We have not had one since CJ Uzama, it feels great. Yeah, just kind of the way in on the play calling a little bit. I just maybe it's um, Philip Montgomery's just not completely confident in the offense just yet to fully open it up. Um, like you guys were saying, only three shots downfield the entire game, and I'm pretty sure Freeze called all of them, um, or maybe just two of them, since I know one of the plays he called was that. Fade or Valde Fairweather that Dylan was just talking about. But I feel like as the season goes along and this offense is able to develop more of an identity, um, we'll see more of that. We'll see more like play action kind of stuff. But I just feel like for now, they're still running a pretty conservative offense. And I don't see that changing this week. And that word uh, identity is, is big here because I feel I still think this is a pretty new team in comparison. Uh, I mean, it's all tra new transfers starting, really. You only have, like, I think three returning starters uh, this offense uh, as a whole. And it came down, I think even Free said it, he's still learning this team. Uh, you're just kind of trying to figure out what this team does well, what it doesn't do well. 
And what can you base this team around if you need something to depend on? And it seems like he freeze understands that, you know, Rivano Fairweather is good at football. Maybe we should utilize him more. And that's what Freeze said in the presser. And it's ultimately how Auburn came down with that last touch that last touchdown with six minutes left in the game. And then you kind of just put faith in your defense. He didn't really try to run out any clock to just kind of get down the field and score a touchdown with like two minutes left. He gave Cal plenty of time. And Cal was kind of going down the field for a little bit until GJ James made that awesome, awesome interception to seal the win. But it does, it is probably time to ask the question is it time that Hugh Free settles down on one quarterback? Um, I, I obviously, I think so. The uh, two quarterback system has been. Uh, the thing on this offense that has upset me the most this season, um, especially looking back at this Cal game, we'd have times where Robbie come in first and second down and not get much uh, done, and then we bring in Peyton Thorne for third and five. Um, I just don't think that lets either quarterback have time to get involved in the game and and get settled, Um, especially when we're not letting Robbie throw the ball because he had – Three passes, two were his first two plays of the game. That third was that uh, awful throw across his body um, right to the hands of the defense. Um, so it's just letting these guys play or let one of them play. I mean, I think it's time to that. I, I will die on the cell. That play action rollout was not supposed to be in Robbie Ashford's play set. I think you have hypothetically two playbooks. That rollout play is not Robbie Asher's playbook, and it shouldn't be. And luckily it wasn't intercepted, but that play right there should never be called for Robbie Asher, especially when the offense has no momentum and he's not really been – he's not – I don't want to say he's not a good play-action quarterback, but he just should not be utilized in that kind of setting, especially on third and long. Yeah, um – Obviously, you have quarterbacks with vastly different skill sets. Um, I agree with the two-playbook analogy. I like that a lot. Um, But ultimately, I just kind of feel like, I mean, throwing Thorne in on third down, like just throwing him to the fire, like that's just not really an effective way to go about this at all. Um, It's not really fair to either guy, Like kind of like Colin said. Um, I do think it's time for Freeze to settle on a quarterback. And honestly, Dylan, I'm sorry. I think it's Thorne. Um, but, you know, like like Freeze has said all along, I definitely feel like Robbie Ashford has a place in this offense. But as far as the primary guy, I'm sorry. It's got to be number one. I don't know. Uh, looking back at that game, I saw a deer in the headlights when Peyton Thorne went out to play quarterback at times. And Robbie Ashford's competitive uh, aspect of his game, he just – his definition of getting rattled is Robbie Ashford trying to make a play when he probably just should settle for what he can get. Peyton Thorne, on the other hand, when times got tough, uh, he kind of settled for it. He kind of just – he was taking dumb sacks. He was throwing balls that shouldn't be thrown up. Uh, he threw that one interception. He had that one – fumble uh, uh the shovel pass straight to the linebacker i just think overall it's a, if it comes down to if you want to pick the better quarterback 
Yes, Peyton Thorne fits that mold in a sense, but the better football player is Robbie Ashford. And my thing is Peyton Thorne is supposed to be the experienced guy in this quarterback room, and he just never looked comfortable on Saturday. And I mean, overall, I mean, it can, and Hugh Freeze brought up on, in the presser just talking about how Robbie Ashford uh, has to get his touches, and that's just because Robbie Ashford is just an athletic, athletically gifted athlete, and at the double entendre there, uh, you have to let him. You have to get him on the field, and if the t- double quarterback system doesn't uh, gets kind of, I don't want to say thrown away, if it gets limited. I think it could still work in a sense, but I don't think that Freeze should be going like, oh, well, Peyton Thorne threw an incompletion on first down. They only ran for two yards. Well, let's try to run the RPO with Robbie Ashford real quick. I think if you're going to let it work, maybe figure out if you're just going to want to use, you know, red zone Robbie for the red zone, or if you're going to settle for, oh, Peyton Thorne's not playing well. Let's put Robbie in and keep Robbie in. Instead of, all right, Peyton Thorne's not doing well. Let's put in Robbie for two plays and put Thorne back in. Because two plays isn't going to get a quarterback out of a rut. That's not how football works. If your quarterback is in a rut for a game, he's going to be in that rut for at least a quarter. Like It takes a little bit longer to talk to your quarterback and get him out of whatever mindset that is making him struggle in the game. And we saw Peyton Thorne. I mean, he just did not look comfortable in the pocket. He didn't look comfortable in the game. He just looked... And, and I'll give him credit. He had great composure on the sideline, and he was talking to Hugh Freeze, trying to kind of get, uh, you know, getting coached up on like what he needs to do better. And it just never really came through until that last touchdown drive, where it finally meshed well. Uh, you're running up tempo. You're running the RPO. You're getting the ball to Revolver Fairweather, who, honestly, when you talk about like a, a great point guard, uh, should be touching the ball on or a great like forward, I'm going to say forward in this case, a, a great forward should be touching the ball at least every possession in basketball. Rivaldo Fairweather should at least be getting at least one target per drive after what we saw. He is the safety blanket on this team. And I saw that from, we got two under throws for Rivaldo Fairweather where he made a play on both of them. One, he caught the ball. The other one, he kind of, he showed up on the pass interference call that got off in the first down. And then he got that fade route uh, over the defense, over Cal. But ultimately, if you're going to use two quarterbacks, use it right. And honestly, if you want to settle for a guy, I think you got to go with the playmaker and Robbie Ashford, whose competitive aspect of his game will keep you in the game. Because to Robbie, a 14 point deficit is not that big. A 21 point deficit is not that big. Robbie Ashford is a, he's not a natural born leader. He is slowly evolving into one, and that's what Peyton Thorne can be, could be there for. Uh, kind of show Robbie Ashford what he needs to do to lead this team. But when it comes to a guy that you can put your rely on and is out there wanting to win, I mean, we saw what he did against Alabama last year. He threw his body around trying to get Auburn back in that Iron Bowl. And he had one of the best days against Alabama since, uh, that we've seen in a hot minute as an, from our quarterback. Robbie Ashford should probably be getting more reps at quarterback than Peyton Thorne. I don't know about that one. Um, You make some valid points, but at the end of the day, 
Thorne was brought here to do a job. And I think that he's going to be the guy. As long as it's like up in the air, I feel like it's going to be Thorne um, until just Robbie proves that he is the better option. But and I'm definitely not saying he can't, but we're just, I don't believe we're at that point yet. I mean, it, it definitely will come down to, I believe, that AM game. Sure. If, yeah. That, if, that's kind of where I'm at. If Thorne gets rattled in College Station, I mean, Robbie Ashford might be taking that that first starting snap against Georgia in the next week. Yeah, maybe so. Because, like, I just just call spade spade. I don't think we're going to be in a different spot next Monday night than we are right now, or Tuesday as the show comes out. I, I don't think next Tuesday is going to be any different from right now. Um, cause it's yet another opponent that, you know, you just can't really gauge much against. So I completely agree with you, Dylan. Uh, A&M is going to be very, very eye opening. Yeah. And especially with the fact that A&M, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to take Josh Pate's word here. A&M might very well be in a wounded animal mode right now. Uh, just trying anything possible to kind of get back into their hype that they were trying to live up to. Uh, and yet again, falling very short of it. Uh, and, if Peyton Thorne gets rattled like he did against uh, – uh, Cal is nowhere near the environment that any SEC team is. I would argue that Vanderbilt can put up a better environmental, like, stadium than Cal. That's fair. That's Because that's, sure. that's, that's just how the SEC fair. does it. I don't know about that. I've seen some games in Vanderbilt because Vanderbilt doesn't have a home stadium. When when you're in SEC country, it turns into any other school that goes and plays hey, at Vanderbilt. The environment's still better. That's Vanderbilt true. Vanderbilt Stadium true. is home to better environments than Cal Memorial. Okay, stadium is. I can I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I'm sorry. <laughs> at College Station, I, I would be. I'm really curious to know what the percentage of Auburn fans were at um Cal. Uh, I, seemed, I heard it. It seemed. It seemed even. It's, I thought it was a little less than I expected, but I also expected it to be, like, filled to the brim with orange. Well, ESPN made it sound like there was Auburn fans galore, which it, it definitely was for the distance that they traveled, but I definitely don't think it was. Uh, out of the 40,000 that were there, I want to say maybe 10,000 maybe Auburn fans is what the broadcast made it look like. And that's that's nothing to to shy at either, especially yeah, when you're traveling yeah. across the whole country. Yeah, twenty five percent of the stadium, like a cross country game, that's great. And I'm sure they had a great time uh, before and after the game, uh, but the, during the game, probably not so much. But to get back on the quarterbacks for just a sec, I mean, looking at it, uh, if, if Peyton Thorne, if those, if Jimbo Fisher uses that defensive line that that for what it's worth his defensive coordinator does his job well i cannot speak very much of the head coach and the de- and the offensive coordinator texas a&m the defensive coordinator does the job very well and if peyton thorn if that pocket breaks down once or twice and he makes a bad read or makes a bad play or takes a sack when he shouldn't uh robbie ashford could very well be that starting quarterback by georgia and again i i and like i like i said Peyton Thorne might be the better quarterback, but the better p- football player is Robbie Ashford. And put your hands in the guys who can make plays, and Robbie Ashford can do that. And it's all about putting trust in his arm abilities, arm potential, uh, that Robbie Ashford can get to. 
uh, it just will, it's, it's going to take a little bit of time because he is a raw talent and you just kind of have to develop him. And that's exactly what, what Hugh Freeze got when he uh, brought Emily Willis. And with that, I mean, and it really it's going to come down that AM game is also going to come down to the fact can Auburn get fully healthy? Is Nehemiah Pritchard going to be able to play? We don't know yet. Uh, is Donovan Kaufman okay? We need him to be. Uh, is Keontae Scott, uh, do we get a uh, anything on him, Daniel, at the presser? Um, I heard that he is questionable as well. All right. So I expect none of those guys to play against Sanford, and that should be completely – they shouldn't play anyways. I don't think the starters should – if all goes well on Saturday, there should not be a single starter in the game by the third quarter. Agreed. Because Auburn should handle that game like they did against UMass. And I don't want to see a single injury take place of a star player before we have to travel to College Station on <laughs> next Saturday. Yeah. Which, um, being at 100% is definitely the goal. For sure. So with, the, with, the, with the next week coming up, uh, we did get a time for Texas A&M and it is an 11 a.m. kick. That really goes in Auburn's favor uh, a yes. lot. Um, because <laughs> the atmosphere, I'm not saying it's not going to be good, but it won't It won't be like a 2.30 or a, you know, 6 or an 8 o'clock game would be. Um, so I definitely feel like it goes uh, – 11 o'clock kick always benefits the road team. Yes, Yes, it does. Uh, and Auburn does have a way of winning these weird games uh, whenever it comes down to it. It's just something that – that color scheme just does something to this team whenever it comes down. Go back to the wounded animal mode. Auburn always plays in wounded animal mode in games like this for whatever reason, and they could be undefeated. Uh, but now we're going to go back, just to talk about some A&M, talk about some Bama, uh, talk about Georgia and Ole Miss as well. We're going to go back to our segment four and – Roll it. Give me a sec. So welcome back to Give Me a Sec, our weekly segment we're going to do where we're going to review some SEC games that went on this past weekend. We're going to start off with the Texas A&M game because I want to. Uh, and just because I was the lone person that picked Miami to win this game when we did our prediction segment, uh, I'm going to throw up to you real quick just because Miami – Absolutely put a beat down Texas A&M uh, on a defense that didn't really do a good job of starting uh, of stopping the the deep ball, and offense struggled at times, uh, but did put up 34 points. Uh, but ultimately, A&M not what A&M thought they were. Uh, I mean, yeah, no, I I've not seen the game, but obviously. Either. Uh, Miami put up a lot of points on this A&M defense um, just from the box score. Um, that that could bode well, especially if we're talking about how how nice their defense is supposed to be. Yeah, and I mean, looking back at the, this game, I mean, I, I I put this game on the big screen out of my out of my two, and I just kind of looked at it and I was like, yeah, this A&M definitely should not have been ranked going to this game. No. Uh, this is not – this is an team that's very re- – better than last year, but could honestly be the same team as last year. A team that 
found a way to score in games they shouldn't have scored in. Uh, this was not a packed house. A hard Rock Stadium, unless the Miami Dolphins are playing, does not really have very many fans in it in attendance. Uh, and th- you could tell that by the fact that they were begging Miami fans to show up strictly by if you buy a ticket, you get a free ticket to Georgia Tech, uh, which not an even not an even dispersion of games. Uh, you get a And M, who was ranked at the time, versus Georgia Tech, who's still in rebuild mode as they have been for the past like six years. But this A and M team, I mean, I this pretty much tells me right off the bat that Jimbo Fisher might not be the head coach come 2024. And by might not, I mean will not. Yeah, and- I I feel like eventually the oil people are just going to cut their losses because, I mean, he's had everything and more that people say you need to succeed in college football, being time, money, um, you know, you, you know the things. Um, yeah, he's had all of it, all of it and more. And still hasn't been to Atlanta. And you know who has been to Atlanta twice? The Missouri Tigers. So – I really feel like that's that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah, you're not wrong. Uh, people talk about Missouri should leave the uh, SEC because they don't fit. Yes, but A&M also has not really done that much to kind of show their worth in the SEC. And especially whenever their big brother in that state uh, is doing better than they are right now. I was about to say, they're about to turn into a real little brother uh, once Texas joins the SEC next season. I mean, they already are. Uh, and just look at another game. The Georgia Bulldogs uh, took care of business for three quarters of four against – I forgot who they already played. Uh, it was Ball one. State, right? Yeah, Ball State. There we go. Just another a, – a Mac? Is that Mac team? Uh, I think yes. that sounds right. I, I believe Mac. Uh, and Georgia, yet again, it took, it took them – one quarter versus Ball State and UT Martin to find an offensive rhythm. This Georgia team, and this could be clickbait for them. This could is it, Kirby Smart might put this in his locker room and say that I've been doubting him all year, and I said they're going to go five and seven or whatever crap that he tells his his players in his locker room. This Georgia team looks nothing like last year's team. I'll even go further. Two years ago team this old machine looks very beatable maybe not for auburn right now but for like a tennessee with time to get ready for it that might be it tennessee didn't look great this this week either but you gotta you gotta give georgia credit this was their toughest uh non-conference opponent of the season um and they handled business so give credit where credit's due they took care of ball state are you saying Ball State's a better non-con than Georgia Tech? I don't know, man. <laughs> it's, it's been tough for a few years. <laughs> Careful. Tar might actually show up and give you COVID through <laughs> the screen. I got the antibodies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I, Carson is – I don't – I can't believe I'm saying this. Carson Beck's not Seth Bennett. That's a weird thing I never expected to say. Seth Bennett's – uh, Carson Beck just it might just because it's first time starting as the as the guy. If Georgia takes this long against these opponents, how long is it going to take him versus a Power Five school? 
and this could all just be early season woes. They play South Carolina this week. South Carolina, I don't think that South Carolina is going to beat Georgia by any means. I think I don't think the South Carolina team's good uh, as you know as, as South Carolina fans think they're going to be. But this game could be a ten point game by the third quarter if Georgia continues on this path. And it would just I take agree. a hot start from like a Tennessee and Neyland, by the way, they play in Neyland this year, to put Georgia in some hot water. Yeah, I mean, tough SEC environment. Um, if you mess around on the road and find yourself down 10, 14, 17, like it can get away from you and you can be on your back really, really fast. And now that we are now <laughs> clickbait fodder for the Georgia Bulldogs uh, team and Kirby Smart, I'm going to move on to the Ole Miss Rebels, who didn't really take care of business against Tulane. That, that score that they got, the 37-20, that is nowhere near uh, explains the story of this game. Uh, Tulane went to this game with their backup quarterback, Kai Horton, after the injury of Michael Pratt against South Alabama. Kai Horton, uh, he sliced and diced uh, Ole Miss' secondary. And that's very evident by the fact that Pete Golding, I don't know what Lane Kiffin was thinking about hiring Pete Golding. I mean, Pete Golding is just not good at pass defense. And Tulane, with a backup quarterback, threw for 231 yards against Ole Miss' defense. Yeah, I think it's it, this was the best game, maybe of besides obviously Texas Alabama, the best game of the weekend, um, at least in that early slate. I mean, they were going back and forth for most of the game, were they not? Yeah, it, it was pretty close until it, it wasn't with the last two minutes left in the game. I mean, if I go back to down here to the box score, I mean, it was it was twenty seven twenty with a minute thirty two left in the game, and then almost went down the field, kicked a field goal and 30 seconds because of the onside kick. And then Tulane tried to do a deep pass. The pocket broke up, and the ball got knocked out of Kai Horton's hand for a fumble return for a touchdown, which gave them a 17-point lead. Like, they only had a seven-point lead with a minute and a minute and a half to go, and they scored 10 minutes in that time. So, it, it just overall, unless Tulane is just a, a cracked team, which they very well could be, Iden's Ole Miss team is not as hyped up as – Again, go back to the fan bases as Ole Miss fans think that it is. Well, I mean, Tulane has been known to give some Power Five teams some trouble. Yeah, USC. <laughs> I mean, there was talk of of Tulane making the the playoff if they ran the table, if they beat Ole Miss and ran the table. So, I think you can't uh, downplay this Tulane team. But um, obviously, whenever you're going to struggle with a a group of five team, it's not a good look. It honestly helps Ole Miss's case the fact that Michael Pratt didn't play. I think if Michael Pratt would have played, Tulane might have scored every drive uh, just because uh, as much of a playmaker as Michael Pratt is, I think he's one of the better quarterbacks in, in college football, which is why Auburn fans really wanted him to enter, enter the portal because they were immediately going to try to pick him up immediately amongst the crowd of college teams that were also going to try to grab him uh, because if Michael Pratt would have played this game again, Ole Miss would have lost. This game came down to the fact that Tulane had a young quarterback who has never started in his career. And with that, I'm going to go to the most the my favorite game that I watched this weekend was the Texas Longhorns 
and Quinn Ewers absolutely throttling Alabama's defense. I mean, 350 yards through the air and three touchdowns, no interception Quinn Ewers against Alabama's defense. Not only just Alabama's defense, Alabama's defense inside of Bryant-Denny Stadium. I loved every minute of this game. I am not the biggest fan of Texas. I am a big component of the horns down, but I was throwing up the horns up every time they scored a touchdown. Yeah. um, I'm not a huge Texas guy myself, um, but I enjoyed it. It it was fun to watch. Um, It's not every day that Alabama looks clueless against anyone, but – Whatever they threw out there, Texas had an answer for. And it really makes you wonder, like, what is Alabama's deal at quarterback? Because all offseason, everyone was talking about how, oh, Alabama doesn't have a quarterback. And then week one, Jalen Milrow goes out and balls out against Middle Tennessee State, and all of a sudden Alabama does have a quarterback. But it seems like people forgot that they were playing Middle Tennessee State. Um, maybe they took off a few uh, of the words there and thought they were just playing Tennessee or something. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to level with them. Someone, if you know, like, let us know because we're clueless on that. But he didn't look good. No, he looks he looks awful. Um, yeah. He he didn't make any reads the whole game. He would just no. uh, leave the pocket as soon as he could. Well, he would eyeball just his, his guy the entire way down the field. Like, he – it was my first read not open. I'm going to run. And, I mean, he rushed for 44 yards. Uh, and I think most most of us being taken away by the fact he got sacked five times. This Bama line does not look good. And this Auburn defensive line can develop. And if Jason Jones can actually become the Jason Jones that we want him to become, I mean, Auburn's defensive line might have, I don't want to say a field day, but it's going to get to Joe Milrow a few times in the Iron Bowl. And I got a lot of people that were talking to me about this game, talking about Alabama's quarterbacks and, like, why didn't you take Milrow out? Why did you, didn't you put Ty Simpson in? Why didn't you put Tyler Buckner in? And they tried to blame it on Saban for not giving up on Milrow. But Saban has given up on a quarterback before mid-game in the national championship game and the SEC championship game, giving yeah. up on his starting quarterback for a freshman and giving up on his – that same guy for his backup in two very huge games. And you tell me that you just think he just didn't want to give up on Milrow. You just think, no, this quarterback room is not good. Milrow's the best they got. Ty Simpson, Tyler Buckner, not good. That's what this game told me. Yeah. Saban, not deep at quarterback. Sorry. Saban knows his guys. Um, He's going to play the best guy uh, in the situation. And he he made the decision to stick with Milrow, so that's their their QB one, and I think it'll probably stay like that for the remainder of the season. I don't think you'll see much of Ty Simpson or Buckner at all. Unless I think it'd kind of be like, sorry, uh, I think it'd kind of be like um, what I was talking about earlier, where it'll be Milrow until he just looks so bad that the next option can't possibly be worse. Um which I don't know if it'll get to that point, but, I mean, it could. I mean, I just think that, I mean, and I also just want to look at the running back room as well. This Bama, I have never seen an Alabama team in my life that lacked 
so much identity in every aspect of the offense. I mean, I heard people say, "Oh, well, Bama's going back to their old ways. You don't need a good you don't need a good offense to win championships anymore." The defense didn't look good either. The defensive backs at Alabama, outside of Malachi Moore, aren't the same Bama DBs we've seen in the last few years. I mean, Bama used to rely heavily on their defense. This defense is not very good. Running backs, your Jace McClellan can make people miss. But when he plays a good defense, I mean, 12 carries for 45 yards, that's 3.8 yards per carry. A Bama starting running back doesn't do that. And I know this me, Sunshine Pumping Alabama's past, but I mean, I'm coming from a guy who has been watching Alabama football as long as I've been watching Auburn football. I, I've I've watched Derrick Henry, I've watched Mark Ingram, I've watched Trip Richardson, I've watched Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon, Josh Jacobs. The list goes on and on and on. Jace McClellan, Roy Dell Williams, they are not those guys. And this people are saying it. I'm just gonna highlight what people are saying. This is the beginning of I don't the beginning of the end for the Alabama dynasty. Yeah, I've been very hesitant to like say anything like that um, or to say anything along the lines like Alabama not being the premier program in college football anymore. But I've got to be honest, I've, I've reached that point. Um, I definitely think that Georgia's passed him by. And I feel like, you know, there are some programs that might not be far behind. I think that the tell for me was today uh, in the student center uh, at Auburn University, the Melton Student Center, a certain janitor named Carl, biggest Bama fan you'll ever meet, came in and said, go dogs to me instead of the, the RT slur. I'm not going to say that. But, um, yeah, so he switched his allegiance this weekend. And I think that's huge. Was he talking about Opelika? No, he was not. <laughs> it's the mean, Georgia dogs. I'm just looking. I just keep looking at this box score because it just baffles me. Alabama's defensive uh, uh, running defense doesn't look bad, and it could be the, either be that or the fact that Texas just can't run the ball, or they just found a lot of pleasure in their ability to throw the ball all over Alabama's defense. But I mean, if Ashford or Thorne can find some rhythm with Jay Fair, Shane Hooks, Jair Shorter, and Votto Fairweather, I mean, you're not. You might not be looking at a at a blowout Bama win, like people maybe thought it was going to be at the, at the early parts of the offseason, or this game could be very close down and down to the wire. This could be a reminiscent of the 2019 Iron Bowl in some way, shape, or form. It's a lesser Auburn team that just kind of found its way to 9-3, 8-2, 8-3 season at that point. Found a way to win against that Alabama team that should have been the playoffs that year in 2019. Uh, and Auburn found a way to win. But this Bama defense, I mean, Chloe McKinstry, uh, he got sauced up against uh, A.D. Mitchell and Xavier Worthy. And, again, just Bama does not have any identity offensively. This, I, The fact that Jermaine Burton is the best Alabama wide receiver this year and last year is very telling to the fact that a few years ago they had Jamison Williams. They used to have Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, uh, Devontae Smith. The, John Mechie. It, John Mechie. Julio, Julio Jones. <laughs> Just the list goes on and on. These, these are Bama guys. It, thank you. We can we can stop sunshine pumping Alabama's past some more a little bit. <laughs> but this Bama team just lacks that. And we probably should have seen this coming when Saban went out and hired 
Tommy Reeves from Notre Dame, who was an unproven coordinator. That's not that is not the move Nick Saban should have made. He should have hired a proven coordinator instead of going for another guy. When Saban used to do rehab for his coordinators, that's whenever Bama was at their peak. Whenever he would bring in the Sarkeesians, the Kiffins, uh, the Bill O'Briens. Uh, Bill O'Brien was a, a better coordinator than Tommy Reeves. Defensive coordinators, I mean Jeremy Pruitt. Uh, I'm not going to say Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart didn't need the rehab that Jeremy Pruitt do, uh, did and does uh, now. Uh, but I we should have seen this coming whenever he hired Tommy Reeves and Kevin Steele. Yeah, those were head-scratching hires for sure. Um, it makes you wonder, like, really, like Nick Saban, that's the best you could do. Yeah, and Saban team, LSU, A&M. Ole Miss, I mean, Auburn. I'm not going to say this Bama team is going to be a five-loss team, but if they don't pick up some of the slack, I mean, this could be a three- or four-loss Alabama team. And Saban yeah, might find his way back on that mansion uh, very quickly uh, during his retirement speech at the end of November. <laughs> I'm not ready to go that far, but this is not looking like Bama teams have passed. This, this could be the last year of Saban. Saban, I, I love Nick Saban. I, I do. I hate saying that, that I like him. I respect him as a coach. I hate the team he coaches for. And I do think I Saban is a guy who, if he coached for a different team, I'd say he deserves to go out on top. But I do think Saban is, if, if they turn into a three, four, five loss team, don't think they'll go that deep. A three loss probably is going to be the floor. But can Saban recover on the last legs of his career? I don't know. Um, you hear a lot of times about like old coaches, like the game passing him by, and I feel like Saban's done a r- relatively good job of really not letting that happen. Um, Saban's shown that he can change with the times. Um, I'll let I mean, twenty. Right, good, good, good counterexample like that. Yeah, um, but nil comes to mind. Like Saban's, you know, Saban doesn't like nil because it gives people a chance to compete with. Him. Like that's just hate on me all you want, and Bama fans, it's true. And if you want to deny it, that's cool. But deep down, you know I'm right. Um, and if you can't admit that, then it's not worth my argument with you. It's not worth my time. But. Other than that, like, he's been able to adapt. And even with that, like, they've got the Yay Alabama Collective, I'm sure does pretty good. Brings in a lot of money. But, you know, when football started to move away from the ground and pound, run up the middle every play, um, he was able to adapt. And, you know, the list goes on and on. But at the end of the day, when it's your time, it's your time. Yeah, I mean, I – I don't know if I envy the person that has to follow him or if I do. It's a different thing. But, I mean, if Nick, Saban, if Nick Saban can adapt, or I don't even think adapt is even the word for this season, if he can't put some discipline into these players, I mean, if you can't get Jalen Murrow to sit down in the pocket for more than five seconds, if you can't give the offensive line to give him a pocket for more than two seconds, the running backs aren't making space for themselves. If the wide receivers aren't getting separation, I mean – this is this is a Bama team that we have we have now that I have been and all college football has been 
watching Nick Saban build a program up from the ground, per se, hit a peak, and then slowly just trot off until 2023 comes around, and it looks like you're finally on the last breath of the Alabama dynasty. And I yeah. think that's a good. I think that's a good ending point to get out of the "Give Me a Sec" segment and get into some Auburn basketball. So I'm gonna roll the in, roll the outro for it, and then we'll get right back into some Auburn basketball. Yeah, and Auburn basketball media days has been announced. It is going to be on October 18th in Birmingham for men's basketball media day and. Uh, do they do the same thing they do in uh, football media days where they have like three players come down? Or yeah. is it like one or two? I think it might be one or two. I think it's two, but two. I could be wrong. And I, I feel like it might be easy to tell who might be who those two are going to be. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and give my guess. Uh, I'm going to say Janai Broom, and I'm going to say Jay Will. I, I, I agree with you there. I don't, I don't think we'd send anyone else. Maybe Simo, like if Jay Will gets sick that week or something. Um, but yeah, Katie Johnson sleeper pick. I wouldn't let him talk to the media. <laughs> hey, that's our little cr- crackhead. It is he- our little crackhead. <laughs> I feel uh, like but- he's on the short list simply because of tenure. Um, yeah, same thing with Chris Moore, but I'll uh, I'll be covering this. So, um, once that day rolls around, I'll since it's you know five weeks from the yeah, like five weeks away, I'll remind everyone closer to time, but you can follow along for updates. Yeah, and, I mean, Auburn basketball. Uh, honestly, I would not be upset if BP brought in Chaney Johnson alongside Jani Broom because the height that Chaney's – best. Yeah, I mean, Chaney Johnson, I think, might be the difference maker of this team because, uh, I mean, we've been hearing nothing but good things about him this, this offseason, and hopefully it's not all hype, uh, but Chaney Johnson does look like he is going to be an awesome player – Starting at the three uh, for Auburn Tigers this year, and especially with that—is that that USC game already going to be sold out? Already sold out? Um, I don't know. if Tickets have gone on sale yet, but the second they do, I think everybody's going to be buying those tickets, and then they are going to be pricey, uh, to are. say the least. Uh, but let's see, uh, Daniel, how you feeling, buddy? You know, um, still coming off vacation mode a little bit. Uh, got got a busy week ahead of me. I'm feeling a little loopy. Oh, and you, you say you're a little feeling, feeling a little loopy. Well, Daniel, do I have the shirt for you? You can go to thewarport.com, go to the shop. It's on the first page you get to. The Feeling Loopy T-shirt comes in five colors. Navy, Heather Navy, black, Heather black, and Heather gray. The shirt's comfy. I love it to death. I wear it all the time. It is already hanging up in my closet. It's in the washing machine yesterday and is ready to be worn whenever and wherever because this shirt's awesome. It's great for game days. It looks great. I the, There's – and, and what's the, the – neurosurgeons have all agreed. I, 10 out of 10 neurosurgeons agree that this actually does bring a smile on your face every time you put it on. I, I, I've never not worn it and had a frown. It's crazy. The shirt just like does something to, to your uh, what's it called? Your morphine, not morphine. Dopamine. Dopamines. My dopamines rise whenever I throw on the feeling loopy shirt. So yes, go in the link in the description below. You don't want to warport.com and get your feeling loopy shirt today. Now we're gonna talk about some women's athletics, but first 
Colin, we'll let you talk about golf for a second. Um, yeah, I'll do a little quick 30 seconds on golf. Um, the, the, the number six Auburn Tigers uh, won their first tournament of the season this year, at the Maui Gym Invitational or Intercollegiate. Um, yeah, we had a freshman, uh, Jackson Kavion. I'm not sure how you say his last name, so I'm butchering it. But um, he took second place in the whole tournament. He shot uh, 17 under over the three rounds um, and tied an Auburn program record with that. So as a freshman. freshman coming in doing big things. Let's go. And Daniel, did you cover soccer? I did not this week. Um, yeah. They did lose to Ohio State on Sunday, uh, 2-0. Uh, and they will look to head into SC Conference play starting Friday when they travel to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Uh, currently 4-2-2 two, two on the season and hoping to uh, get back on the, in their winning ways after a draw and a loss in the last two. But to a sport that is on track for another great season, Volleyball went two and one in their Tiger Invitational, falling to Belton State three to one, but then coming back on Friday and Saturday, taking down Charleston Southern three to one and the Mercer Bears three zero, and have actually moved up in the rankings to number twenty four. This volleyball team is so freaking good, and Madison Shear actually took over Akasha Anderson's uh, t- kill leaders. Uh, just in that one weekend, she now has 91 kills on the year, and we are only eight games. So, and they will get back and play on Thursday for the Alabama showdown. We're going to take on South Alabama on Thursday at six, UAB on Friday at 2 30, and Sanford, yeah, as well on Saturday. Who Auburn Tigers are playing on Saturday, and that's going to be in Mobile, Alabama. So, get that South Alabama's going to be hosting that. South Alabama, UAB, and Sanford hoping to add three more wins to the season as well. But, yeah. Colin, will everybody know where they can love you, find you, support you? Yeah, you know, just just follow my Twitter, um, at ByersdorfColin. That's B-E-Y-E-R-S-D-O-R-F, Colin. I'm trying to use it more, so give it a follow. And you had a banger of a tweet come out on Saturday, right? Yeah, I don't tweet a lot, but when I tweet, I make them count. It's a banger of a tweet. Daniel? Um, you can follow me on Twitter. On Twitter. Close enough. At you need Daniel a sign J. in your room. <laughs> uh, contrary to Colin, I uh, I tweet a lot um, about a wide variety of topics. Um, PGA Tour, Taylor Swift, uh, NFL, MLB, NBA, MLS, the Premier League, Auburn, pro- predominantly Auburn because that's my job. Um, anything though, a uh, wide variety of topics. I, I tweet about it. So there's bound to be something you like. Um, you can follow my written work over at 1819 news or for the Auburn daily or for Braves today. And Dylan, let us know where we can find you. You can find me on Twitter slash X Rex, and you can find me right there at you the tank at Y a B O I the tank. I also like to tweet a lot. Uh, I do not use threads. I respect myself too much. Uh, But I do tweet, uh, except I don't tweet during the Auburn game. 
uh, I can't do it. My eyes are too focused on the game, and if I complain too much on Twitter, I, I some other words might come out uh, because I get very frustrated with all the football. But I did tweet a lot during the other games, uh, especially the A and I believe the A and M game and the Alabama game as well. After those went over, uh, we also give you on Instagram at Dylan Lark at D Y L A N L A R C K. And if sports you want to follow us here on the College Loop, you haven't seen on YouTube, you should like, comment, and subscribe. Do you think Auburn should give up on the two quarterback system? Leave that below. Leave it in the comments. Hashtag feeling loopy as well. Do the verbal meme real quick. Verbal meme. Uh, hashtag feeling loopy. Uh, trying to use that a little bit more. And, of course, you have us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter, slash X again, at The College Loop. And, of course, again, here on YouTube, where you should get like, comment, and subscribe, and share it to your friends. And, of course, if you're tired of seeing our faces, look at Daniel. Look at Colin. I don't know how you get tired of them, but yeah, you might. So go over to Spotify Podcast, Google Podcast, Amazon Music for the podcast versions of the show. And with all of that being said, War Eagle, Alabama is one and one. And this has been the College Loop Podcast. Yeah.